I just want to wake up every day, throw a leg over my scoot, and ride. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. On road or off road, wrencher, rider, racer, or just a weekend warrior, this is the show for you. You found us, my fellas. Welcome to the American Roadrunner Podcast. And now, your host, Bob Marshall. It is that time again. Welcome back, my fellow Roadrunners. Today on the show, it's going to get deep, it's going to get insightful. Yes, my show's rated E, not for everyone, meaning E for explicit. Feel free to be advised. I'm going to be giving this show over to Bunkabiker.org. Bunkabiker.org is a wonderful national and international organization of people who are happy to host fellow motorcyclists. If you're in the middle of nowhere, wherever you may be, Bunkabiker.org can probably set you up with someone that has a couch, has a spare room, has a few feet on their lawn for you to set up a tent. It's a wonderful organization, bunkabiker.org. Also, the Facebook group, Minimalist Motorcycle Vagabond. This is where all the cool information is shared about how Z and fellow vagabonders travel all over this country and all over this world. Get it done and make it happen. You'll also hear Z mention her Motorcycle Vagabond show. That's a great podcast you can find on almost any format. Check it out. This is a story, a road story, all about where it began for one Miss Z Traveler, how she got on the road, how she made it all happen. Again, it dives deep, so be ready, and know that it will be played in its entirety without interruption. Enjoy, my fellows, the American Roadrunner Motorcycle Show. Sometimes, in life, we all find ways to move in ways we never thought possible. What I mean by that statement is that our roads always lead us to places we never thought possible. But how do we get stuck on these roads? How do we move forward to find the place where we're comfortable operating? I'm going to bring up a subject that seems to be a bit of controversy in this country from time to time. And the answer is, everybody needs a place to live. Everybody needs a physical address in which to operate from. Or do they? Every so often we find ourselves around people who are okay not having a physical address, who are okay moving against what society has viewed as the norm of home ownership or placement of job or whatever it may be. And as we move down our natural progression of social road, we will find that there's going to be a lot of questions like, do we need to be in one place or not? However we feel about it will determine how we set our lifestyle to it. And sometimes lifestyle doesn't always have to have the correct answer to make people comfortable. We're very 
blessed today to have one Miss Z Traveler as a guest on this show. If you know Z or have heard of the good work that she's gotten to do while living on the road the last handful of years or so, you're going to be very excited to hear the story. If you don't know who Z Traveler is, I suspect it's going to be very beneficial for you to stick around and see what it takes and what it means to live without a physical address on a motorcycle and still enjoy life and having a good time. All of our roads get to start somewhere. Today on the show, where it all gets to start for one Miss Z Traveler. So hey everyone, um, I'm here today to I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm currently doing, but really to get into the story about what's pushed me to be who I am today and to live the very strange and extraordinary and wonderful life that I do lead. Um, you know, I get asked all the time, why do I do this? And it's not a short answer. Honestly, it's about to be the next few hours of me telling, you know, every little thing in my life that's pushed me towards being unorthodox and how it gave me the strength to, to live a life that's different than most people. So I'm native born in Oklahoma. My mother was 17 when she had me. At the time, she'd been kicked out by my grandmother. Um, I don't call my mother mother. I actually call her Starla. She wasn't in my life much. And what started that was after she birthed me at 17, uh, she had no support. She was at the hospital by herself. My grandmother was very mad at her. Uh, she just, they didn't get along. They had a very bad relationship, which is just one of the very few, uh, not very few, actually one of the very many bad relationships that happened in my family long before that I was born. So she, she birthed me and she liked drugs and she liked drinking. She definitely liked, didn't like me as much, so... My grandmother found out I was born. She started coming over. Uh, this is, of course, from my grandmother's telling, is that she started coming over, and oftentimes I'd be with a diaper that hadn't been changed in a long time. I was neglected, often left in a laundry basket or a drawer and a dresser, and my mom wouldn't be there. She'd be passed out high or drunk. Uh, she was working as a stripper. Uh, my mom used to be a very beautiful woman. And so my grandmother decided around six, I think it was three or three or six months old, she told me, uh, just to take me. And my mom didn't fight. She obviously didn't want me that much, but my grandmother really much did. And she let me know that every day of my childhood. Um, so being raised, I, I had a very solid foundation with my grandmother. She raised me in one home. For, I was in that home for 23 years. Uh, we were very close. I, I was a very sensitive child. I was a very empathetic child. And my grandmother, um, was a very strong woman. She worked as a police officer. And she was a great role model because of that. It's probably a good, a good reason why I am the woman I am today, able to not be held down by society's pressures or, you know, what people expect of me. I've, she's always been, she was always very supportive of me as a child. But I wasn't very much like my family. Even from a young age, um, I expressed more intelligence and creativity than all of them. Um, and that, that came out as different ways as a child and then into my teen years. But my grandmother loved me nonetheless. Um, because my, my mother would come in and out of my life between men, uh, between jail. And my grandma was a cop. My mom was a drug addict. Loved to get arrested a lot. She thought she was above the law. She thought she couldn't get caught, you know. 
you got that god complex thinking that she's invincible and she wasn't she hmm, was not very good at what she did actually and so she'd call my grandmother every so often every few years hey mom i'm in jail can you bail me out so my grandmother would scrape up the money to get her out mom would promise that she'd change I'd get to see her for a few months, and then she'd disappear again, back into drugs, back into bad men. She really liked men with uh, histories of violence and being con men and drug addicts and drug dealers. You know, and she had some interesting ones that came around. Um, and as a child, I thought my mom was really cool. You know, she had red hair and drove convertible cars, or she had sunroofs, and she was very beautiful. I was doing cool stuff, and, you know, I looked up to that as a child and had to watch my grandma's heart break every time she came around and broke mine. So my mom, she was a bad influence. I guess I say to this day that she, everyone's an influence in your life, and they can either be someone that you would like to be like or someone that you don't want to be like at all. And my mother certainly was one of those ones I don't want to be like at all. Um... As I got to know her through my adult years, I saw how different we were. She honestly was born with no common sense. She, she told me one time when she was a child that she couldn't really logic out what would happen if she put a stick, no, not a stick, her own foot into the spokes of a bicycle. And she did that and then racked. And I'm like, oh, pretty sure we're not related. Because um, I, I, I didn't have such a problem. Um, my big problem as a child is that I was too sensitive. Um, I got picked on a lot for being weird. And of course, in Oklahoma, back in the 90s and the late 90s and the early 2000s, it was very strange for a grandmother to be raising granddaughter. Uh, I was one of the only children that I knew that didn't have a parent. Um, so she always introduced herself at school as my guardian. Um, and that was a lot of weird looks, but my family runs very young. My grandmother today would have only be about 65 years old um, and with that young family also comes the fact that I had my great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother in my life. I spent the summers with them. I lived in Oklahoma City with my grandmother. She was a cop for Bethany, Oklahoma. Uh, before that she was a bit cop for Chickasha. But I would go down to Duncan which is just a small rural town in southwestern Oklahoma and I'd spend the summers with my great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother. My great-great-grandmother was a very proper woman. Uh, she was the last woman in the family to really have a great relationship with a man. Um, my great-great-grandfather had really great stories. Everyone called him Pops. Uh, he died a few years before I was born, but he, he did great things. He was a great influence, and... He died, and my great-great-grandmother remained single for the rest of her years. Uh, I knew her until I was 15. And, of course, being a stupid teenager, I never really took advantage of getting to know the family history from her or caring to spend time with her. And I wish I could go back and change that, but, you know, time moves on whether you want to or not. But my great-grandmother was another example of who I didn't want to be. Uh, she was a very selfish woman. She liked the children that my mom had or that... My grandmother had until they were old enough to talk back to her. Or if they were girls like me and they didn't want to wear dresses, she just really didn't like them that much. Uh, she forced me to go to church with her. I think it was Presbyterian Church. When I was a pretty young child and she'd put me in stockings and shoes and a dress and I'd cry and I'd cry. and Yeah, that was not me. I've, my grandmother never wore a skirt. My, I've never saw her in anything feminine in my whole life. She wore jeans and a t-shirt 
or she was in her uniform all the time. And I was just a kid that wanted to play in the dirt and hang out with the boys. So I always just wore shorts and t-shirts, you know, pretty much what I'm doing right now. I guess not everything changes. My mother came in and out. She caused me a lot of stress. Uh, and my, I think around eight or nine years old, I had stomach pains. They did a lot of medical research on me. My grandmother never actually finished paying off those procedures to the day she died. Um, they were checking for kidney stones and to see why I was in pain, but come to find out I was stressed because of my mother. Um, I ended up in therapy for, for a while, a few years. I don't remember a lot about the therapy besides picking four-leaf clovers and painting, but it helped. The pain went away. That's not the only thing I was misdiagnosed with also. I was given glasses, and I have great vision. Uh, I had migraines as a child that would put me out of school for a day. So, you know, those were hereditary, and I'm one of the few women in the family that actually grew out of those migraines. My, my mother still has them weekly, and my, my grandmother lived in the migraine. So there's a lot of respect for my grandmother and what I just said. It's the fact that she became a parent again, and she did such a great job raising me. But she also did that through a lot of pain. I was born in 92, but in 94... She had her jaw broken while she was on duty at the police department. A suspect uh, kicked her, and it broke her jaw, and it put her put her in a really bad place. And that was, you know, just probably a year and a half after I, she took me, and she was raising me. You know, I would have been a baby. And she went through a lot of surgeries when I was a child. I remember one time going to the hospital, and she had her jaw wired shut to help fix the reconstru do the reconstruction. And I started crying because I didn't understand why they put my grandmother in more pain to fix her pain, you know, the child logic of not understanding. And so I spent my entire life watching her go through pain. She went through about a half a dozen surgeries when I was younger. And then they just gave up on her because she always had pain and they didn't believe her. She had a plate and a couple screws in her jaw and no doctor would prescribe her pain medications after a few years. So she lived with that pain every day. Uh, the pain in the jaw would cause her to have migraines and you know, I saw her in bed many, many times, just unable to function because of how bad they were. So as a child, I was, I kind of mostly raised myself. If she worked nights, I slept at the police department. Uh, I was raised around cops. I was raised around adults. I never really got along with children very well. And otherwise, during the day, you know, before I was in school, she said that she'd set me in front of the TV and I'd already figured out how to work the v VCR. And I'd watch Free Willy over and over and over. Uh, awful taste of movies. It probably hasn't changed either. I like to watch Shark B movies now. But yeah, so I, I'd sit there and I, I was very quiet. I was raised not to be loud because uh, loud noises would make her head hurt more. So I was a very well-behaved child, which if you know who I am today, it's kind of hard to see that. Uh, but I wanted to make my grandmother proud. I got straight A's in school. I never got in trouble. Never got in trouble. I got awards out the yin-yang back when they gave them out for being earned and not just for participating. I was usually the first one done in all my classes with everything. First one to learn cursive, the first one to learn the multiplication table. Uh, I was very competitive. I was always that teacher's pet sitting at the front. Raised my hand for everything. I was very invested when I was in elementary school. And uh, made my grandmother very proud. And that actually continued until about sixth grade, seventh grade, and, and middle school. And things started changing. And my grandmother didn't know how to handle it, and I didn't know how to handle it. <clears throat> I became 
angry and hurtful. I didn't really know why. Uh, actually, it took me getting on the road to figure out all of these things. But I started lashing out at people for menial offenses, and I'd, I, was given, I was gifted with the ability to read people. I have a very intuitive nature, and I'm very sensitive to how people feel. And as a teenager, I mean, of course, I wasn't very good at it then, but it was still there. And my friends and the guy I dated in high school, he was, we were together two and a half years. He lived with me for two of those years at my grandmother's house. Um, if someone even slighted me, I'd, I'd hit him low and I'd hit him hard. And then I'd just feel like a fucking asshole for a long time about it. And it's one of the worst feelings on the planet. And it's why, even to this day, if I'm really mad at someone... Uh, I don't talk until I'm calmed down because I don't want to hurt people. It's one of the worst feelings for me is to to turn around from someone that I love and make them feel that way. So, that's um, a part of who I am today. But you can imagine with the fact that I really only had my grandmother my whole life, it was like having your mom and your dad and your grandpa and everyone into one person. And it caused a lot of codependency issues. Um, I don't remember at what age she said it, but my grandmother actually told me, if it wasn't for you, I would have killed myself. Because the pain of her surgeries was so bad. Uh, it wouldn't have been, she wouldn't have had a reason to live. And uh, that's something that I've had to work on. Uh, not being codependent on people. Because that's the only relationship that I ever had with my family. Besides someone always leaving. So my lesson in loss started from a pretty young age, having my mother there and then gone. Um, actually, my great-grandmother was, she was married for a bit when I was a kid, too. She had a grandpa for a little while, but she liked to divorce a lot. My great-grandmother was married quite a few times. And going back into the family history a bit, my, my grandmother had a lot of issues because of men. They were all abusive. Uh, she had an eating disorder because one of her stepfathers would... Stab her with a fork if she tried to get more food at the table. Um, my great-grandmother neglected the family for the men, let them abuse her and the children. My grandma was one of three kids. Um, but my great-grandmother's raising, she was just her and her brother by my great-great-grandmother back on the farm in Arkansas. And my great-great-grandmother had nine sisters and a brother. I don't know any of them. Uh, I briefly met my great-grandmother's brother, um, I guess my great uncle like once or twice and his kid once, but there was a lot of family feuding and a lot of hate long before I was born. So down to my grandmother again. Uh, if it wasn't for even the way my grandmother was raising me and in, in the life that I was brought into being around adults, if that didn't make me grow up fast, um, I think I may have just been born with an old soul as well. And my grandmother, she used to, I used to sleep in the car when she was a security officer. Uh, so in 2000, she medically retired from the police department and got screwed really bad too on all of that. And she became a security guard and she's never more than about three minutes away from the house. Uh, and I used to stay with her in the car for the first, for the first few years that she worked there. And the motorcycle wreck happened, I think, on the property. A guy had been running from the cops. And she's like, this is what Coke looks like. And I was like eight or something. I'm like, cool, Grandma. Can I go to sleep now? 
can I go hang out in the police cars? I remember when we used to do that. Yeah, my grandma was cool. She used to bring the cop cars to my daycare when I was a kid. Everyone get to play in them. Got a couple photos, but um, huh. while I got bullied a lot in school and by pretty much everyone as a child, uh, I wanted to hang out with the boys, and they're like, "Eh, girl," and then the girls were playing with makeup and dolls, and I'm like, "Eh, you guys are weird." So I really didn't have a lot of friends for most of my life, except for the kids that I lived next to in our block. Him. <laughs> Having a cop for a grandmother, you know, I'm a, I'm a big traveler now, 18 countries and, you know, 68,000 miles in the last three and a half years. But <laughs> when I was a child, I wasn't even allowed to leave the block. And then when I was allowed to leave the block, I had to carry a two-way walkie-talkie. And then when I started getting to where I could leave that block and go to the park by myself or even bicycle to school, you know, like a mile and a half away, she got me a cell phone. And if I didn't answer that cell phone, oh, she'd have the whole police department looking for me. So, yeah, maybe that's one of my technology issues is that I've always had a phone on me since I was nine years old and I had to answer it or whew, it was going to be ugly. But uh, eventually her security job told her that I couldn't come to work anymore. And so we went through a, f a few babysitters. Some of them didn't work out. We had a neighbor, a uh, very nice lady named Betty. She helped out as much as she could. But eventually it just got to be too much. And I started staying home alone at nine or 10 years old. And at that point, my grandmother was working five days a week, 12 hours from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And again, I was raising myself. Uh, I had to set the alarm on the house. I had to stay in. You know, as I got older, I was allowed to have friends over or I was allowed to stay out a little bit after she went to work because seven o'clock curfew sucks. That's not even like when the lights come on during the summer. And I was a big swimmer as a kid. I really loved swimming at the neighbor's pool. Um, being born and raised in Oklahoma is not exactly a lot of water in that state. <clears throat> so I swam a lot and I bicycled a lot. Yeah. I guess that bicycle just turned into two wheels pedaled and now it's two wheels with motors, but I loved my little BMX bike. I used to go everywhere on it when I was a teenager until it got stolen. Um, so that's, that's pretty much my childhood. You know, that's the people I had in my life. And in the moving in the teenage years, I, I said I started getting angry. Uh, I stopped paying attention in school. I started sleeping through classes. Um, started wearing all black. I, I really got into the goth and punk and emo thing that, you know, went through school. I was wearing band shirts and trip pants and dark makeup and I had dark hair. And um, I was never really a bad kid. I didn't do drugs uh, until I was like 24 uh, I didn't really drink until I got older. I didn't smoke weed or anything, but I just got to where I, I didn't have an investment in school. It was just a pain to go. So I went from being a straight A student to still getting A's and B's, but I was taking the easy classes because I wouldn't have to pay attention. I could just sleep and wake up, fill out the paperwork and go back to sleep because it was the same shit I learned last year. Some teachers would look at me and not even care, you know, yeah, why would I want to invest in that kid? And then some, some teachers didn't just stop at the way I looked. You know, that's one of the one of the things that I've always been really irritated with is being valued on the, on the way I appear. My grandmother actually would rip a lot of people apart in the grocery store. They'd be like, oh, your child is a troublemaker or something wrong with her. And she's like, is your kid an honor roll student? Yeah, I stayed honor roll student all the way through high school. And I did well. I never ended up in the, in the uh, principal's office except for that one time I counterfeited. Good times. Too smart for my own good. Um, 
And my grandma actually didn't punish me for it because she actually helped. <laughs> they have this uh, fair every year where they give out tickets, and it's just those, like, rip-off tickets. So I convinced my grandma to take me to the store, and I bought a roll of them, and I was, like, giving them away to my friends and, and whatever, and eventually they caught me, and I got suspended for a week. It was the first time I ever got in trouble. Uh, yeah, funny story. Otherwise, I didn't really get in trouble. I actually remember the first time I got a C. It was an art class because the art teacher hated me. Uh, that was just the most devastating thing ever. Again, sensitive kid. It's just, I, my heart was in my hand, and I handed it to everyone my whole childhood. And that is what made me, as a teenager, probably shut out people so much, is being made fun of and being bullied and the broken family and, you know, probably part of the anger. Or maybe it was that first six months of neglect, you know, just being a, being a very small infant and not having that the research, assurance that someone's there to help me. Um, but yeah, some, some teachers did try to invest in me. They'd see beyond the makeup and the clothes and they'd try to get me to, to do better and to care more about my future and what I'm doing now. And I still didn't care. Then I got the boyfriend. Uh, I ruined that relationship by hmm, being mean, being hateful, being spiteful, being all those things I don't want to be today and that I have made sure not to be anymore. But... I guess I was very lucky in a lot of things with my family. My my mother actually doesn't think that I'm a child. Uh, back in the day, they used to just put babies with into bayonets. Baskets? I don't know. Whatever that word is. They just ba put... Bassinets. 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 Yeah, yeah, we used to have them with bayonets. Good times. <laughs> Bassinets. Yeah, so back in the day, they used to just put babies in bassinets, and, you know, a tired nurse could pick one baby up, and another tired nurse picks baby up, and all of a sudden, you're in the wrong basket. My mom's always thought that's what happened, because I don't look anything like my family. I'm not built anything like my family. There's just no no similarities whatsoever, um, personality-wise or anything. And it's very fortunate, because there's a lot of mental disorders that run in my family. My grandmother had a lot of uh, depression issues, anxiety. She had PTSD, not just from the abuse from her stepfathers, but the abuse from her first husband. Uh, her first husband, and this is the long story of how bad the women in my family choose men. Her first husband kept her in a drugged-up state and raped her for a few years before she was able to escape, and that was one of her leading causes to become a police officer. And as a police officer, she... Uh, wrote the book on how to deal with domestic abuse victims and rape victims. She was the person that, and the, one of the only woman cops too, and she took a lot of shit for it, but she still did it because she loved to help people. Um, so she had the PTSD. She didn't sleep. I saw her drink every day of my life. She always had Canadian mist and a box of wine. And, uh, I don't drink either one of those things. Well, maybe the box of wine. Uh, but I usually have better taste than that. I at least get the bottle. But I saw that uh, she had to have a nightcap every night to go to sleep. She had nightmares. She was up most of the time. It's also why I could never get away with much. Uh, <laughs> she had me convinced she had eyes in the back of her head for a long time. And my mother, she's bipolar. Um, she has no coping mechanisms in life. And that may be just from the fact that she got into drugs really young. Uh, she was very much of a follower. She just did whatever her friends thought was cool. She never could think for herself. And that's never been me. I've never changed to please people. I took the bullying. I took the ostracizing. I just was never welcome. I was never wanted. Um, because I didn't change. 
I didn't want to please people. I wanted people to like me for me. And that's never since childhood to now, and it still hasn't changed. I still am who I am. And if you don't like it, you can skedaddle because I don't care. But it's nothing like my mother. She's the total opposite. And my grandmother never could get away from that, doing what society thought she should do. Even though she was strong and she kind of led her own path, she still... Well, I would watch her every morning, spend about an hour and a half putting on makeup and watching her soap opera, The Young and the Restless, every day. She'd record it. I had to teach her how to use the VCR every few years because she'd somehow forget. Or, oh my god, it doesn't work. And, you know, resident young person, I know how to work that crap. But yeah, she she wouldn't go outside without makeup. You know, she had an impression to keep. You know, that's part of her generation. And also part of her generation is being unable to talk about the things that she went through. So a lot of her issues were unresolved. Uh, she never had time to work on them after, you know, raising a troubled child as my mother and then having me. You know, it's it's really hard to be, to be able to, to do things for yourself when you're a, a parent. And she sacrificed so much for me. Uh... I actually stayed in bed way too long with her. I think I was like eight before I got my own bed. And by I get my own bed, I mean I kicked her out of the king-size water bed and kept it. She had to get another bed. <laughs> I've got single child syndrome so hardcore. I don't share very well. It's mine. <laughs> but because of my grandmother's first husband, she actually did marry again. Uh, she made a guy named Roland. And my mother was pretty close to him. He died prematurely of a heart attack. Uh, I think around 54, he's a little older than my mother, a little older than my grandmother. And my grandmother was in school and and working and didn't have time to be a mother. So my mother was more close to her grandmother, my great grandmother. Really interesting how every, every generation skipped like that. But because my grandmother had been abused by her stepdads, she didn't date my entire life. And she told me, I'm never going to date a man um, cause I'd be too worried that he would abuse you and you'd be too scared to tell me. So she stayed single and that's just another one of those things, like a weight that I carried that I didn't know I had. Uh, and honestly, again, my family had really poor choice in men. Every single one of them, except for my great, great grandmother. And one of the times between men, my mother came back to the house. I was a teenager at this point, a preteen actually. My mother was high or drunk, and of course I didn't understand. I didn't know why she was acting weird. And she got into a fight with my grandmother, and they, they yelled and screamed at each other, and then my grandmother slammed her against the door. And that's a... Uh, I, don't, I don't yell. I don't... When I get mad, I don't yell. I don't like people who yell. I will absolutely walk away from that. And, then, you know, it's one of those scarring moments of my life. Surprisingly enough, the time that one of my childhood friends hold, held me down and made me show my private parts to him didn't scar me as bad as my mother and my grandmother fighting. Yeah. Strangely enough, I think, honestly, if I have any kind of sexual problems, it's from being raised on Law & Order SVU my whole life. That's really not a great show for kids. Yeah. So, yeah, back to being the teenager, I had the boyfriend. I hurt people. My grandmother and I's relationship really split. She she doesn't have sarcasm. She didn't really have... She has a very innocent sense of humor. You know, she's the kind of person who laugh at the cat video, whereas I'm over here making this extremely offensive jokes all of the time. And she didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to handle it. We didn't get into therapy. And then we got into money problems. She lost her job. Things got really tight. I started shoplifting a lot at that point. I didn't want to have to make her pay for things, so I stole not only the things that I need, but some things I didn't need as well. 
I'll just say I have a very good sleight of hand now. And then moving on to our relationships pretty much destroyed at this point. By the time I'm 18, I break up with my ex or he broke up with me technically. And I shut off. I shut the world out. I stopped feeling. I, I became devoid with just a very thin strain of anger. I didn't really feel happy. I didn't feel sad for five years. So from 18 to 23, I just totally shut out everything. I stopped having friends. I think I may have had one or two. That's actually one of, one of my friends during that time. He trained me how to fight and salat and Aikido. He was a veteran. He definitely didn't help the cynicism that I was fighting at the time because he was also very cynical. But yeah, that five years was pretty hard. And it was really hard to come out of it too. Going from just not invested in being a human to wanting to feel again and wanting to try to date. So then I started making bad choices in men. A lot of those bad choices came from the fact that while my grandmother and I's relationship went down, her health started to go down. Around 21, when I was 21 years old, uh, she used to have one bad day a month. She'd just stay in bed and not want to talk. Then it was two days, and it was a couple of weeks. You know, just progressively moved to where she never was in a good mood anymore. And during that time, she got more and more abusive. And it started out that she'd sometimes text me some mean things. She'd be at home miserable, and I'd go out with a friend, and she'd try to ruin that. And I was working a job because it paid enough to pay for the mortgage. You know, I was 23 years old. I had the responsibility of, like, her, her pension didn't pay enough to support us. So I had a job that paid really well that was very depressing. It was a very awful, awful place to work. And I had all the pressure on me to make sure that the bills were paying, that we had food to eat, and we didn't lose the house. So I hated my job, but I hated going home, too. She made it a hell for me. You know, she uh, she got to where she would yell at me. She'd scream things at me. Everything possible to hurt me. I wish, I, I wish I'd never raised you. You're just a cunt. Get the fuck out. I hate you. You know, everything. She said it all. Eventually, I just got to be like, yeah, I've heard that one before, Grandma. She tried to find some new insults. It's like probably one of the reasons why my one of my coping mechanisms is sarcasm and humor. Because I didn't know how to deal with that. That, that went on for, for about 21, 23, two years, two or three years. You know, progressively got worse. I got to where I was taking more and more abuse. She got to where she was neglecting herself more and more. One time I was at the bank and she uh, texted me and said that she was going to shoot herself. And, you know, I'm about to have a nervous breakdown in the bank. I started shaking and I had to leave. I sped home. <clears throat> She'd fallen asleep with this 38 in her hand. I ripped that out of her hand. I remember freaking out. A couple months later, she turned around to use that situation on me. Said she was actually intending to shoot me. But that was just a way to hurt me. I, you know, I realize that now. She, uh... That was one of the only times that she got like that. She ne I mean, we never hit. You know, I've never been physically abused. I, I get... It's hard for me to talk about the story because it's not like I really have had a hard life compared to other people. But as I tell everyone, it's not it's not a game of competition. It's not here. We're not here to compare. You know, my pain isn't the same as everyone else's pain. And it's all very valid. And there's all things that we have to work through. But 
the emotional abuse that she put me through and the spiritual abuse, she destroyed me. She absolutely put me so far down. I was, I started drinking because I didn't know how to deal with these things. I had no friends. I had poor choice in men. I had no one to lean on. Um, been alone most of my life. <laughs> Pride used to be one of my problems too. I, I was 18 one time. I rebounded after that boyfriend and I went and did drugs, uh, cough syrup, <laughs> hardcore, right? And, uh, he had to go to work the next day. I had had a migraine. I got through that. I wanted to go home and I'd had him pick me up. My car was back at the house. I asked my only friend at the time for a ride, Rachel. And she said, I can't do it. My mom would yell at me if I go out this late at night. It was like 10 o'clock. <clears throat> we were 18. Uh, so I walked nine miles barefoot across a very bad part of Oklahoma City. Got hit by a car that night. Got pulled over by a cop. But I refused to ask anyone else. I didn't want to call my grandmother because, you know, she had to work the next day. She was still working at the time. And that's just, I had a long history of making bad choices because I refused to ask for help. Because usually when I needed people to be there, they weren't. That's just been my whole life. But at 23, it had gotten so bad. I, I told my grandmother my whole life I would be there to until she died. I'd take care of her until... Until it was her time to go. So, you know, that's why I didn't go anywhere. I didn't leave the state for my first time until I was 21. I didn't see the ocean for the first time until I was 23. Uh, my best friend had moved to Seattle and I'd flown there to see him. Uh, it's actually the same year that I wrecked for the first time. And first time I wrecked, I actually named that bike uh, Thanatos. Uh, I believe that was the name for it. It's a, a god of death. Because I knew I was going to kill myself on it because of where I was at the time. I sped around on that bike way too fast. But the wreck happened because a truck pulled out in front of me as I was crossing to go see my best friend. I was looking for it, though. And that's, that's pretty much when my death wish started. I didn't want to actually kill myself. I had a few attempts, but I wanted to die. I just didn't want to do it directly. I wanted to make bad choices and have it happen to me. Because I didn't have anything worth living for. Um, so... Well, I'd made the promise that I'd be from there for my grandmother my whole life. Her whole life, I should say. Uh, at 23, I had to... I had to leave. I, I, it was either that or... I was, I was gonna take the step and finally kill myself. I couldn't take the abuse anymore. She yelled at me every time I came home. I never knew when she was gonna yell at me. I couldn't sleep. Um, it gave me... You know, that's kind of where I, my PTSD started. I didn't know when the only family that I ever had was going to just yell at me, and I didn't know what I was doing wrong. You know, she convinced me that it was her fault, or my fault, that she wasn't eating, that she was, she was like 75 pounds the last time I saw her. Just a skeleton. I could put my whole, like, hand around her upper arm. And if you know me, I'm pretty thickly built. My grandmother was very frail. But she convinced me all of those things, she, that... The reason that she was so mean and so mad was my fault, that I was the one doing things wrong that would send her into a spiral, start yelling at me. Uh, it's like walking on explosives. It wasn't just eggshells. It was at home. It was walking on explosives. You know, I got to where I was sleeping on my friend's couch as much as I could. I was drinking and passing out in downtown Oklahoma City. I didn't really care where I'd wake up. And so I left. I moved out. And this was, when, this was at the time that my mom had just come out of rehab. I thought she was going to clean up, finally, and she did for a few years. 
but she had two more children. My mom's had six kids. They started 10 years after I was born. We've all been raised in different families. I got to see a couple of them as babies, um, and I was there for the, the youngest two. Uh, Ruby and Chance, the, the youngest two. And I got to see... My great-grandmother actually raised my middle sister, Rihanna. I got to see more about how selfish she was and how she ruined that generation. I, I got to watch a lot of people get ruined in my life with my family. I watched my mom neglect babies yet again. I watched my, my mom, seriously, the last day that I saw my three-year-old sister at the time, uh, my sister was back-talking. Uh, my sister was a little hoss, man. She was big and she was strong and she was very hard-headed for being a three-year-old. And she walked all over my mother because my mother was an awful parent. She couldn't stand up for herself. She couldn't say no. I was the only one who was even remotely stable for that child. We lived together. My mom and I pitched in together to, to have a house for the children. I was hoping she'd take it over. But the last day I saw her anyways, uh, she was acting out and my mother was trying to get pretty for work because, you know, always trying to get one of those men. And she ended up hitting my sister with a pair of jeans. Just slapped her right across the face. And I was like, I, I flipped out. You know, you don't hit a three-year-old. She went to go live with her dad. Her dad was at the time a, a drug dealer a long time ago. But he cleaned up because he had two girls. She did on my mom at the same time she got pregnant. So his two girls are one month apart. They're now sisters and being raised together. But he cleaned up and got married and got a house and got a job and a car. And he's, you know, he's living for those kids. And I'm very proud of him for that. I was hoping my mother would do the same thing, but she really likes Xanax, and she really likes math. She loves math. And that's why I make a lot of tweaker jokes. I used to watch my mom tweak. Uh, she's also a very addictive personality, even with simplest things. And I, I don't get addicted. I've done quite a few drugs and never had a craving for them. Usually I can do them a day or two, and then I'm like, get that shit away from me. But I saw her eat Skittles and birthday cake for like three weeks. That was it. Super addicted to everything. It had to be specifically a certain kind of cake, too. You know, I, I saw her neurosis. I lived with it. We lived together for three years. Not three years, two years. I'd gotten into a mortgage, hoping she'd take it over. I had the 710 credit score. My grandmother helped me build that. Had two cars. So I had the American dream. Had everything that everyone seems to want to work for. and But I never wanted it. I said every single day, I'm like, I don't want this shit. I'm doing this for you. I want you to take the payment over to my mother. <clears throat> and she's like, yeah, 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 I'm going to do it. Lost her job, decided she wanted to be a big-time drug dealer. Got the car impounded like twice. Kept getting caught. I had to bail her out once, and I just, I, call, I, I drew a line. I'm like, all right, if you're not going to take this very affordable mortgage over, I'm going to get rid of you, and I'm going to get someone who will. So August 1st of 2016, I went to court. Got an eviction. She had two days to get out. August 5th, I hit the road. I had the bike. I'd bought a Victory Cross Country. I'd done the research, and that was what everyone said was a great bike to tour on. Uh, and a year before that, right after I wrecked the uh, first victory that I had. And I had a, a website called freecampsites.net, but I'd never camped before. Um, my grandmother didn't take me on vacation. She was um, a homebody. So I'd never been anywhere, never really done anything, but I had some gear. I'd looked up online how to buy some gear and yeah, no, I just left. My whole idea with hitting the road was to spend a month looking for a new place to live. 
But I, I didn't. I didn't. And I knew I didn't want to live in Oklahoma. It was never my state. Um, people knew that since I was a teenager. I've reconnected with teenage friends since that day, or since uh, since I've left. And they were like, "We knew you'd never stay in Oklahoma. We knew this was not the place for you." <clears throat> so I left. I guess it took longer than everyone thought it would, you know. But yeah, no, so I got on the road, and I was supposed to look for a new place to live. And that first week on the road, it was hell. I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, got sunburned, you know, got hailed on in the Black Hills. Camped in some sketchy places, took that big bike off-road, and I loved it. I loved every challenge of it. And... So this is where I got the start. You know, I've told this story a million times, actually. Mm. When I first got on the road, though, I was absolutely running from my problems. My grandmother was still alive at the time. Uh, she was full-blown crazy. Um, I never mentioned while she was having those massive outbursts at me. It ended up being alcohol. And I didn't know it. Um, you know, I didn't know at the time what that those symptoms were. She'd become an alcoholic. She was downing the cheapest, greeniest vodka that she could. And by the time I left, you know, at 23 years old, her brain was done. Um, I went back and saw her <clears throat> after that month on the road. Told her I was going out to Massachusetts to meet a guy, do more traveling. And within five minutes, I had to tell her two or three times because she couldn't remember. She had wet brain. And the state, the house that it was in, I was supposed to get everything. I was supposed to get the house. It would have been about $40,000 after the, selling it in the condition it was in. Uh, but my mother had gotten involved after I'd left and destroyed the trust. So while the state knows it's in a trust, no one knows who the trustee is. And I could fight for it. I could have. I just decided it really wasn't worth my, it wasn't worth the pain. Even now when I go back to Oklahoma, I refuse to go to that neighborhood. It's, it's still a very hard place for me to be. I have a lot of emotional baggage there. So I let it go. I figured I can just make the money I need whenever I need to, and I do. Um, I can take care of myself quite well. So when I first left on the road, I was absolutely running away. I was distracting myself from the problems. I had nothing better to do. I had no reason to stay in Oklahoma. I had a few friends that really didn't care that much about me. I had no family. I had nothing. Just a bunch of crap. And over the next three and a half years to, the, to this point, it, I've gone between running away from my problems to using the time on the road to work on my problems. You know, when you travel, you have a lot of time, especially, you know, back before I was a social media, mm -hmm. whatever I do, I've got a bunch of Facebook groups I run, a uh, podcast that I just started, you know, I like to make things for the community, but back before that, I had a lot of time to myself, time in my hammock, time on my bike to think, so I run, I'd run away, and then I'd spend the time working on myself, and then I was looking for something, I had nothing better to do. You know, this is seven reasons. I used to, I, there was seven at one point, and that's, that's four of them. Nothing better to do. Nowhere else to really be. You know, home is where the heart is, and I still don't even know to this day where that would be for me. Because it's family, and I don't have any. 
You know, you don't just, there's no reason to stay somewhere if you, if you plant somewhere and then you don't know anyone and there's no reason to be there. There's like, what, you're going to hang out and just see everything in the city. It's the same as every other city. What makes a place is the people in it, having community, having good friends. I have a lot of great friends now all over the world. I try to see them as much as I can, but the way I develop relationships now is, is very much damaged from all the people that have left me and abandoned me. Uh, I have a really big problem with that, actually. Uh, if I get emotionally involved with someone and I try to trust them and they, they abandon me and they leave me, it, it kicks me into a such a severe PTSD spiral that uh, I'm drinking a handle a day. I don't care if I wake up. I'll mix pills in, do other drugs, um, dangerous sex. I mean, I mean, not a lot. I'm just not caring if, you know, the person I hooked up with would kill me while I'm sleeping. Being really drunk and making very bad choices about those things as well. I just got really reckless, and then that was that was actually 2018. Everyone thought I had the, the best life ever, and I was an emotional wreck. Absolute emotional wreck. I just been craving to be fulfilled with family. Death wish. It's still there. I still have it today. But it was it was in full swing then. I didn't know how to deal with it. I've now recently found a little bit of inner peace with those things. Um, after my breakup with the ex that I dated last year, uh, I realized being alone isn't nearly as bad as being with the wrong person because he turned out to be a really big liar and was a lot of stress, honestly. It's like having a 25-year-old child that made piss poor decisions and also he used me for a lot of money too actually like two thousand dollars but if it wasn't for him I wouldn't have had the surgery to fix my knee when I wrecked in 18 and if you want to connect the dots there emotional wreck and a motorcycle wreck I wanted that wreck to happen but I didn't want to survive it I think the first thing I said to one of the paramedics besides the car had parked on top of my motorcycle, so after I told the bitch to get off the bike, you know, because that's important when you just had a car run over your legs and you have a concussion, I think at some point someone's like, it's really lucky that they only ran over your legs. And for like two months after that, every time someone said that, I was like, I wish it would have been my head. I didn't want to fucking live. Um, so a lot of people idolize this life. They idolize what I do. And I tell them every time I wouldn't do this if I had... If I had a great family and a great career and something that, well, I'd probably still go out and travel, but I wouldn't be sleeping in the ditches and sleeping on picnic tables and going all around the world and pretty much just being a really hard to find and unreliable person. That's who I am today. Um, I love my friends. I'll be there if you can get me on the phone, but good luck getting me on the phone all the time. Uh, yeah, so... Again, let me say that this is a great life. Today, as of recording this in February of 2020, I'm doing much better. I've had a lot of things that I've had a lot of friends that have helped me through things. Uh, my friend that died of cancer, I used to go to his house and cry every once in a while and drink a lot and climb trees with chainsaws because I really don't care. Um, but eventually I, I finally worked through all these problems to where I've, I've been able to, to resolve a lot of them and to live a better life and to really enjoy and appreciate what I have because I've almost lost it too many times. 
and not from dying. I'm not scared of dying. Um, I'm scared of, you know, becoming incapable of living this life, having health problems or, uh, you know, anything like that. Being jailed, you know, making bad choices and ending up in prison. A lot of things that could stop me from doing this. And I think it finally clicked with me that I need to stop. If I'm going to make bad choices, at least make them to where, <clears throat> you know, I'm not going to end up in prison for it or jail or in trouble or, you know. So this life is amazing. Absolutely it is. I choose to do it today. Maybe at some point in the last three and a half years, it wasn't much of a choice. It was really all I had. It's all I knew how to do. I didn't have anywhere to go. I still don't have anywhere to go. Besides seeing a lot of great friends. Or seeing some new places. But nowhere that, you know, if I said I need to settle down, I still don't have anywhere like that. But it's a great life to really have the chance to work on who you are and become the person you want to be. Uh, I spend a lot of time. I get away from cell phone reception. I get out camping. I read books. I write. I help people. I meet people, and it's it's given me that it's given me the the things that I needed to to realize that humanity's not as bad as I've always been treated. Uh, people are actually really good people, and really just to become the person I wanted to be. I always wanted to be pretty much who I am today. I like to be charismatic, and I like to tell good stories, and I like to be funny. I like to make a lot of great friends. I like to make connections. I love deep conversations. Um, I like to do outrageous and adventurous things. I love new experiences. I love new skills. You know, and that's just, every day, that's what I'm always striving to be, you know. I want to look back every day and be like, that was the best Z I could be that day, but I'm a better Z today. I want to be a better Z every day. And traveling does that for me. Uh, and motorcycles, for sure. Like, I've, eh, I sit in a car all day. It's just, like, it's super boring. I did a thousand miles in the truck that I was given recently. It wasn't even really a travel. It was just kind of like hanging out on a couch that moved. Not really exposed to the air and the smells, the elements. You know, that's one of the things of being a motorcycle traveler is that endurance through weather. They're challenges, you know. They they make you strong. The last three and a half years have made me strong. Besides, you know, what I went through with my family. Um, now it's like I've been there, done that, didn't need the t-shirt. Um... People don't have the ability to lock me down as far as I used to be able to fall. Uh, I follow myself quite a bit. But from the traveling, I'm like, man, I'm tough. I know I'm tough. I've been through a lot of shit. And so there's rock bottom, and there's a couple feet above that where I know I couldn't get to rock bottom anymore because I get through everything. I've accepted the, finally the fact that things happen, and time's going to keep moving on, and you're going to move on. You may not want to, subconsciously or consciously, but you're going to eventually move on. And if you just accept the fact that <clears throat> it's time to work on things and it's time to to start a new chapter in your life, it gets a little bit easier. And uh, I try to tell people this stuff all the time, you know. Uh, a lot of other travelers that I've met, a lot of, I mean, I've met a few travelers who are just kind of normal people who are from nice families and they just have money and they wanted to experience the world. Um, Naveed, actually, recently, a guy I just met, he's... Totally from a normal family, loves him, but he wants to be more. He wants to be more than just uh, doing what his parents wanted him to do, you know, the job and stuff. But most of the people that I meet that travel have problems, you know. It, it It's not a normal thing that you want to go out and live this extreme lifestyle, because it is extreme. It's hard. 
Some days I function on survival. Have I eaten today? I'm dehydrated. I'm possibly hyperthermic. Um, I don't know where I am. You know, and, and that's the distraction from the problems that I have. But it's also building up the strength to deal with any problems that can come forward. And while I've done a lot of soul searching, a lot of work in the last few years, you know, every day that I'm on the road is still a chance to, to pull out one of these memories. Like, I, I haven't told this story to anyone. I've told bits of this story, some of these stories. Actually, all these stories I haven't talked about. But some of the ones I have talked about, you know, I've told them to a few people, but it's always a different person. I don't have any one person I keep close. I have lots of people I keep at a distance. I find the ones that can I relate to the specific story I need to talk about, and I talk to him about it. I have people I call for advice. I have people I call to be a sounding board. And, you know, every day is a chance to, to work through one more of these problems. To eventually maybe, you know, not be as broken as I was then or even as broken as I am today. Met Bob of the uh, American Roadrunner podcast back in, like, November. Right after I got back from Europe. <laughs> Talk about Europe being a problem. That's going to be a long book. Uh, <laughs> he hit me up, though, to be on the show. And then we just started talking after that. We became good friends. We chatted every day while I was up in Oregon dealing with my friend who died of cancer. I worked on the estate. I've made a little bit of money. So I got the truck. And uh, that friendship is actually what was the inspiration for me to finally tell this story, even if it's uh, a bit shorter than I expected it to be. Um, maybe I'm not quite ready to go as deep as I thought, but went deep enough. Um, yeah, it's, it's been our friendship that gave me the opportunity to, to feel like I'm ready to tell the story, because so many people ask me all the time, and it's so hard to, to answer, you know, why do I do this? Um... I'm sure most people that ask me the question still probably won't listen to the show. We all go through a lot of shit, but this is one of those great tools that can be in your belt to, to work through it. So telling my story, I hope, inspires someone else to do what I do. Um, I remember just the crushing pain of having bills, not wanting to be where I was, because having a mortgage and a, and a house and cars wasn't the thing that I wanted. I was trying to do that for my family. You know, I tried everything I could to help my family. Uh, I've had to work through a lot of issues of feeling like I failed. But I didn't. I tried. And you can't help people who don't want to be helped. You know, I, I've been in the same place before. I didn't want to help myself. And I just had to do it the hard way. <clears throat> but now here I am in Riverside telling the story. And I actually told a really good friend of mine that I was going to tell this story. And record it. And show people. And he's just very proud of me actually because a few years ago when I met him 2018 oh this poor friend of mine he's seen me drunk and crying too many times it's fucking embarrassing but I told him a few of these stories you know things that weigh on me and I told him I was gonna do this, this story this recording and he said he was very proud of me that I've in the last year last two years how far I've come to be ready to to talk about these things and it's, I mean, it's been fucking hard. Um, it's really hard to tell the story, actually. <sighs> I can tell you right now, I'm probably going to hit a really hard drink after this. Really strong, stiff drink. I'm in a lot of pain right now. But this is the next door for me. This is the next path for me, is that I need to open these, I need to open some of these doors 
some of these things. And, you know, it's it's really hard for me to talk about how much my grandma loved me. That's starting to cry. No, I shouldn't. I shouldn't cry. I should be very happy. So it's just something I need to work on. And I, 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 I tell people all the time I don't relate my grandmother in the last few years to the woman who raised me. The woman who raised me was very supportive and proud of me. And, and the woman she died was was well, she was a shell at that point. But for the few years before that, she was you know kind of like a demon. Totally not anything like who she was when I was being raised. But what you say and what you feel are usually two different things. You know, I give, I give the same advice to people that I need to take all the time. You know, that's what we do, right? I've always been a little bit of a therapist. I even was in high school. I had a group of five guys I hung out with. And hmm, they came to Z for their girl problems or their whatever problems. And I usually have pretty good insight. But again, if you have good insight, you're probably not taking it yourself. The reason why you're giving it is because you know it would work if you'd actually listened to it. But yeah, it's time that I, I work on a few of these things, because otherwise I'm doing pretty well. You know, I've Bob's been a big inspiration to me. He's a really good friend. He's one of the few friends I have that actually doesn't have a lot of vices. You know, most of my friends and I, we get along well because we're broken. Uh, combat vets, um, people with broken families, we're all... We all abuse substances, you know, some people sleep a lot, some people eat a lot, some people drink a lot, or do drugs. I met Bob and he, he's helped me, you know, not always turn to the bottle every time I have a problem. And I've been doing pretty well over the last few months and it's been very healing. It's been, again, it's that advice that drinking actually just makes your problems worse. Eh, well, I'm still gonna have a drink later because it's gonna numb the pain for a bit, but probably won't drink again for like a week, two weeks, who knows. But yeah, it's a, it's been an inspiration, and I've had the motivation to take on new projects. You know, I took on Bunker Biker last year. I started MMV three years ago. I just started a podcast a month and a half ago. I'm running new Instagrams and new websites, and I'm having a great time getting to talk to people in the industry, getting to share my story, getting to inspire people to travel. Um... So in my current day, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I gotta get this damn truck sold so I can get back on my bike. I want to get up to San Jose, you know. It's actually another place that I need to deal with. Uh, it was my year, year and a half that I spent there. I was in a very bad emotional place, and I, I need to work through those problems because it's not San Jose's fault. It's, it's my memories. It's, you know, the ghosts that you need to deal with. But I have a gym there that I really love. One of the few places I've ever felt kind of like at home. You know, the instructor is really great, and the people there are really great. I really love training in Krav Maga, so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm going right now. So, my present's doing pretty well, but there's still a lot of baggage to work through. And I'm trying. That's all I can really say is that I'm trying. I, uh, I really like the responsibility that I put myself in, but sometimes it's kind of heavy, too. You know, being a, a community leader, I want to be... I, I want to be always available to people who are just now going to get on the road. They're thinking about getting on the road. You know, they want to go for a trip. They want to go camping. You know, and I always want to be the person that can be reached out and talked to because I'm very human. I make a lot of mistakes. I'm a very nice person. I'm very forgiving and uh, very accepting. Um, I don't really like people as a general whole, but I really love people who ride motorcycles and want to travel. 
That's my tribe. I'd give anything I can to help anyone who's going to try this. You know, experiences for free. Uh, so it's just one of those things that each time that I pull out some of my past and work through it, it makes me a better, makes me better at what I'm doing today. It makes me better at what I'm going to do tomorrow. Um, so right now I'm just kind of hanging out in the States. I've got about seven grand set back. I'd like to leave with 10 or more. And I'm heading to South America. I said about a year, year trip, I'm thinking. Six months down, six months back. A lot of people think that's probably too fast. It's going way too fast. Um, I, want, I, need, I really have to watch the weather. I want to make sure that I hit, you know, the south of Chile. The very tip, that you know, end of the world town. Uh, I want to make sure that I hit that in the right time of the year, which would be February. January, February. Um, and if I don't leave by July, I really couldn't make it in time. And then I'm kind of on a time limit. Uh, so I don't have the money right now. I need to earn some more money. But I'm also really thinking about going down there, maybe doing a quick trip somewhere down there and working for a tour company for a bit. Make Turn this trip from one year into two years. You know, so long as I make enough money to support while I stay, don't have to dip into my fund. So it's something that I'm thinking about right now. Um, this trip is actually open. Uh, I'd really much like to have companionship. I promote people should travel alone. Uh, cause that's the only time that you really get a chance to work on yourself is when you're alone. It's what causes you to go out and talk to new people. If you've got a friend there, why do you need to go talk to people? You've already got someone to talk to. So traveling alone, you know, makes you go out and talk to other people and it gives you a lot of time alone to really work through things and to build reliance and confidence and self-esteem in yourself. But I've been doing that three and a half years now. Um, my big goal in life, I guess, is I'd really like to find a partner to share my life with. Not just the traveling, but, you know, someone I love and I can make family with. I'm not talking about children. Just talking about having someone I can, I can lean on because as it stands, when I go through a hard time, I don't have anyone to lean on. Or I could, I guess, if I reached out. Most of my friends are who knows where. So I usually hold myself up and then eventually I find the strength to pull myself back up again. And it's always just Z taking care of Z. Um, but pretty, pretty strong independent streak now. I'm as prideful as I used to be. I like to accept help. Um, I've had people pick me up on my bike and I've broken down a few times. And uh, people give me 20 bucks and I just say thank you. Because it makes them feel good and it makes me feel good. You know, a lot of people don't understand that. Oh, you're just leeching off of people or you're just using people. No, I'm I'm just the recipient today of a generosity that they want to give. You know, it makes you feel good to give. And in 10 or 20 years when I have my own place, the roles will be reversed. I'll be giving to people who are doing what I, I'm doing now. So my South America trip is to see some new and cool stuff and to be challenged in new ways. Because honestly, traveling in the States is not a challenge anymore. I know the infrastructure. I know the language. I know where things are. So I want to go out and I want to buy gas from gallon jugs and be in language and be in countries that don't speak the language and, you know, see, see places that are less well off than my, I am. So that way I can appreciate what I have here, but I'm also going to be looking for a place to move to one day. Uh, my dream for the future is, you know, when I'm like maybe 40 or something, I'd like to have a little piece of land somewhere in central South America. That'll be warm all year because I don't do winter and I want to build tree houses. I want to rehabilitate animals. I'd like to adopt teenagers and pass on some of my life experience and help them into their adult years because no one cares about teenagers, but it's a really sensitive time. You know, that's kind of when my grandmother um, didn't know how to help me. Um, she didn't know how to deal with me being angry and 
aggressive. Like, I have a very aggressive personality, even to this day. I'm not always angry. Actually, I'm very rarely angry when people mistake it. I just have a very strong and passionate nature. Um, and I want to take the experience I've had with my own family, the things that I've dealt with, with loss and abandonment, and the traveling, and confidence, and, you know, like, people still can't even believe that I can get in front of people and speak. And I'm like, a, yeah, dude, I love doing this stuff. But that's the building confidence of being on the road. That's what it does. It helps in every aspect of your life. And I want to help teenagers one day, teenagers who have been abandoned by their parents or from abusive families or uh, were kicked out because they're different, because I was always different as well. You know, I really understand that. So, yeah, while I'm down there, I'll be looking for those things, you know, picking out a country that I think would be easy to move to and I could actually own the land and I could build myself a little thing, you know. I'll probably have tree houses and animals and uh, a hostel I want to bring travelers to me. Um, maybe a tour company, maybe a mechanic shop, you know, who knows? I, I like all those things. I'm a, you know, very diverse person. And maybe one day I'll find someone who would share in the same dream. But, you know, while I really would like to have a man to share my life with, I'm going to keep living my life every day until then, until the right one comes along and has the same fire in them that I have. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, but I'm not going to say that I didn't try. And after South America, we're looking at doing uh, South Africa, Australia, Mongolia, Southeast Asia. You know, I'd like to do a lot of a lot of places and having a house, you know, this whole podcast starts living an unorthodox life of being without a house. It's not, I'm not homeless. I'm houseless. I'm home anytime that I park my bike. That's my stuff. That's my gear. I know I can I can stay warm and dry and I've usually got food unless I've been stupid. Usually got water unless I've been stupid which would be my own fault, but, you know, so I'm houseless, and it's this life, I have to choose to be houseless to be able to do what I do, you know, you, it, unless you're rich, which most people are not, can't go off for a year to South America if you've got a, a house payment, if you've got a lot of things that are going to weigh you down while you're gone, so I continue to lead, lead the life that I am because I want to see the world, I'm prioritizing what I'm doing, and people think that what I do is expensive, I just said $10,000 for a year in South America. It's going to be like 40,000 miles. And it should last. So long as the bike doesn't catastrophically fail or I get mugged or something. Or I get my leg broken. Uh, and even when I'm in the States, it only costs me three to $500 a month to travel. <clears throat> Half of that's because I, I do run the communities I do. The, the networks that I run. But the networks that I use, anyone can use. Bunk a biker in an MMV, motorcycle camping. You know, when you do really cool stuff, people want to want to meet you. You know, it's not going to cost anyone any more money if you sleep in their guest room for a night. They'll probably feed you dinner. You're going to, you know, it's like a couple days that you don't have to spend money. You know, it helps you extend your trip for a while. But also just the fact that money isn't the same to me as it is to most people. Every dollar, I, I see every dollar in miles. And I, and I ask myself, is this worth $20 or $40. I mean, my gear I spend a lot of money on. I have very nice gear. That's because I live on it. I need my gear to last a long time. I need it to work well. Besides that, you know, useless crap that people buy all the time or going out for $30 meals. $30 is a lot of miles, man. And that's how I look at money. And that's, that's why I tell people all the time is that this life is great. Anyone can do this life. Boring that you're strong enough and not going to be too scared because... There's a lot of fears you have to work through. I, I didn't have the fear when I started. Um, I'm not a scared person. Uh, 
and I had nothing, I, I wasn't leaving anything behind in Oklahoma. So, I mean, if you have family and parents, I can really understand that, uh, those are fears that you need to deal with the responsibility that you feel like you're going to be neglecting, but people are scared to sleep outside and they're scared to, to be exposed and vulnerable and to possibly never need help from strangers. Um, so those are those things that you need to work through. But so long as you have the strength to work through those problems, anyone can do this. You know, it doesn't take a lot of money. You can do it on any bike. You know, I've got friends who do it on anything from big Harleys to little Vespas and scooters and Chinese made motorcycles. Um, it's just, uh, it's just what's important to you. And, uh, one of the few things that I really get irritated at, and again, something that I should probably work on is people that say, you're so lucky. Heh. <laughs> that usually gets a very sardonic laugh or sarcastic smile out of me. It's like, okay, well, if you really, really knew my life, I wouldn't say that I'm lucky. Because usually I'm like, do you have family? I think you're lucky. Um... But this is not a lucky life. This No one handed this life to me. I've built this life. You know, even if I wasn't into social media stuff, which most of my friends aren't who do this, it's still something you ha you choose. You choose every single day to keep doing this. And it's it can be a hard choice, you know. The average person makes, I don't know, like 50,000 decisions a day or something like that. As a traveler, those decisions get infinite. Not only are you just, like, even if you go to work every day, you, you choose to get up and pick your clothes and eat breakfast, but you're going to go to work. You're going to make decisions at work, but you're going to come home. You're going to feed your dog. You're going to feed your cat or take care of your children or, you know, fix your car. But as a traveler, the possibilities are endless every day. And this is a choice that I make every single moment of every single day. Where am I going? Where am I going to sleep at? What, am I going to keep doing this? Why am I keep doing this? I, you know, even I question myself. Why am I doing this? Am I doing it for the right reasons? Am I doing it for the wrong reasons? And honestly, I don't think there's a wrong reason to do it. Because when you start traveling, honestly, not much but good can come from it, barring a few very, very rare circumstances where you like maybe you get ran over, but you can get ran over at home too. Otherwise, you know, you're gonna realize people are great, news is bullshit, the world's not a bad place, people aren't bad, the country's beautiful, the world's beautiful. Um, no matter what language someone speaks, we're all the same. Uh, you know, Serbians, people think of Serbia and think of a bad place. And it's, no, those are really wonderful people. They're just like Americans. They just want to live their lives and have their families and get, they get tired of the government shitting on them. That's sounds exactly like Americans, you know, we just want to do our own thing and have government stop telling us what to do. And we're very lucky as Americans to have that option. We have the freedoms to, to actually live this life. Uh, many countries aren't can't either they don't make enough money their economy's not strong enough to to save enough to do what we do or do what i do or um you know you have to have a registered address in europe to work you know western europe they're, they're very regulated it's really hard to get away from it some people have but instead of saving up for three to five months like i do per year you know working a, a staffing agency job they got to spend three to five years to take a year vacation because they don't have to come back and get back into a house and payments and whatever <laughs> So I tell people all the time, you know, take your opportunity, do it while you're healthy, do it while you're young, stop trying to get a career in a house because those things can come later. Traveling, shit, I was, I woke up one day over in Austria last year and I stealth camped or, you know, like I was sleeping in, in a parking lot of a castle and I woke up and I'm like, 
this young, this adventure shit's for the young. Like, I fucking hurt. I was all cranky getting up, and I'm like, God, if I was 40 or 50 or 60, this would be impossible. I'd be in so much pain, I didn't even, I wouldn't even want to get out of that fucking parking lot. So I tell people, you know, do it. You know, go for it. Thanks, Bob. Give me a hug. American Roadrunner American Roadrunner American Roadrunner American Roadrunner All I want is a machine between my legs and an open highway Music for the American Roadrunner podcast is brought to you by Meek The American Roadrunner podcast is an ARR production. Keep up with Bob Marshall and his adventures and stories from the road at AmericanRoadRunnerTheBook.com, American Roadrunner on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube. We'll see you on the road.